Ready? Oh, man. Well, we're talking about the fire and the sacrifice this morning. And got a little bit of a illustration that uh, will go with this this morning. But we're going to be in 1 Kings chapter 18. And we're going to build the story around it and up a little bit. Um, there's a man of God named Elijah that's been called of God, and he's a prophet. And, and unlike many prophets today that... Um, talk about all the good and prosperity and all that stuff, in, especially in the Old Testament. Many of the prophets uh, of Israel in the time were always sent with God's message, and it was, return to me, <laughs> uh, keep your hearts right with me. And so they didn't always have this cheerful, hey, everything's great and happy message. And they usually sent them out in times of national trouble. They usually sent them out in times where the nation seemed to be drifting, and, and I don't know if you noticed this, but we're in a place where our nation seems to be drifting, and they need, uh, we don't need a prophet. What we do need is every one of us, full of the Holy Spirit, full of God's Word, living and declaring the good news of God. And that is the best prophecy that we can live. We don't need a man to stand up and, and declare the things that we all easily see. What we need is that we need radical change in our lives that will change a future going forward. We get comfortable, we get easy, we begin to drift, we begin to backpedal, we begin to slide away. The Bible calls that backsliding, and, and that means that you used to be close to God, but now some other things have gotten in the way. So Elijah is one of the key players, but there's also two other key players here. One is Ahab, who's the king of Israel at the time. The kingdom of, uh, of Israel is, is divided between Judah and Israel at this time, what God never wanted to happen, but it happened. And Ahab, it said back in 1 Kings chapter 16, is the most evil king to reign of all the kings. Now, this is a man that's supposed to be reigning over the people of Israel, but he's doing evil in the sight of the Lord. And his wife, who is not an Israelite, she's a Sidonite, is named Jezebel. And you've probably heard that name before. It never, never brings up good things. You very rarely hear someone name their child Jezebel uh, for good reason. She was bad news. She was bad to the bone. And she influenced her husband, and she was ruthless and wicked and violent. And Israel, the people, are caught in between. What, what do we do? He is the king. We must do what he says. She is the queen. We must do what she says. But she wasn't worshiping God. She was turning the nation to worship a false god called Baal, which was all about fertility. So you can imagine how you practice that. <laughs> and crops, and growth, and a lot of human energy. It's a very paganistic God. And one of the worst things about Baal worship was it required a sacrifice, and for many of them it required a child sacrifice. And they built a, a large bronze metal statue to them that what they would call Chemosh at times, with his hands out like this, and the bottom of it was hollow, and they would start a fire in there and heat it up, and then they would place 
the human child in the hands of Chemosh as the burnt sacrifice. Horrible, wicked thing to do. And this has been happening. And, and, and if you're here and, and you came last week for the first time and, and you heard this incredible story of, of Jesus and resurrection and redemption, can I explain this morning that this is another story of redemption? The goal of this whole story is God bringing the hearts of His people back to Him. That's your story. It's my story. It's God's story throughout the Bible that, that we draw close to Him at times. And, and if you're at that place, awesome. But if you're one of those people like many of us are, that you draw close to God and then stuff happens and you kind of pull in. Now, you didn't make that conscious decision, but it just happened. And then you find yourself kind of drifting and you're not as close as you once were. Maybe you haven't been in church in years. Maybe you don't even care. Maybe you don't know how you even prayed. You, you, you can't even remember the last time. You don't do anything for the church. You just kind of go through your life and then you hope showing up on Sunday is going to do it for you. I can tell you right now, you're backslidden. And it doesn't mean that you've turned your back on God, but what it does mean is you've lost some ground. And the great news is that God is big enough and God is great enough to draw you close again, but you also have to overcome some things to do that. And that's the story here that's just portrayed and played out again and again and again in the Old Testament. And we see these players this time where, where we find a, a very difficult scenario that's very much like today. And so if this pokes you in the eye this morning, it's for you. And just accept it and draw near to God. And if it reinforces something, you're saying, yep, I know I need to keep doing that, then great, it's for you. Keep doing that. But the worst thing we can do is be passive. That life just happens to us. Life doesn't just happen to me anymore. I make choices. I decide to worship. I decide to pray. I don't just wait for it to happen. I don't wait to feel that way. I do it because it's a spiritual discipline. And if you're one of those people that you're all about feeling, I get it. I, I really do. I'm a feeling person. I like to feel good. Do you like to? I don't like to feel bad. But I can tell you there's been weeks, months, that I didn't feel like being a Christian, that I didn't feel like being nice to people, that I didn't feel like praying, that I didn't feel like I was really engaged in worship, but I determined to do it anyway. And when my spirit determines to do it, my flesh follows. But if you're always waiting for the feeling, you will begin to drift. You will begin to slide away because it's not about your feelings. And yes, feeling God is awesome. It's one of the best things you can ever feel. But sometimes you don't feel it. Sometimes you just have to do it. Even when it feels the wrong thing, even when it feels like it's the last thing you want to do, even when it feels like God's forgotten you, even when it feels like you're just faking it. God is God, whether you feel Him or not. The Holy Spirit is in us to keep reminding us of that, but if we're not careful, we'll just keep telling it to shut up, and pretty soon He will. And that's when we know 
We're in a dangerous place, and that's where Israel's at right now in our story. They've been following. They've been just going through the motions, and as soon Elijah shows up, and, and Ahab knows that he's a man of God, and he, he's not going to kill him, but what they don't understand is that everything that's happened up to this point is because of their backsliding. And so prior to where we're going to pick up in verse 21, God said, uh, Elijah, I want you to go to Ahab and declare this to him. I'm calling for a drought. You think you're so big. You think you're in control. I'll show you what control is. It's not going to rain for three years. Now, we can't even conceive of that. Sometimes three days. <laughs> and, and, and you'll have to excuse me for a minute. My, my wife and I are from the dry side of the state. And it's funny when summertime comes here and people start saying, oh my gosh, we haven't had rain. Uh, what are we going to do? There's three rivers. I've never seen the trees brown here. You go to our side... The hills turn brown. Things turn brown. You know why? We don't get 350 days of rain like we do here. But in Israel, in a place that's very destitute, they need the rain in the high mountains that fills the river. So after three years of drought, it's starting to get rough. And so here comes Elijah, and he strides up into the area where Ahab is, and Ahab's been looking for him. I, I want to find this dude, and he, I'm going to make him turn this drought around. And he says, oh, here comes the troubler of Israel. And Elijah says, I'm not the one that's troubling Israel. You are. You and the direction you're going, and this Baal worship, and you allowing your wife to lead these people and you astray. I'm not the trouble here. You are. Now let's pick it up. Verse 21. Elijah came to all the people. All the people of the nation are lined up together. And he asks a really great question. A question that you need to answer this morning. How long... Will you falter between two opinions? That's the, that's the question for you. That's the question for our nation this morning. How long will you falter between two opinions? You want this, but you want that. You want this, but you want that. And what's interesting is the word falter literally means to hop. This is awesome. No, this is awesome. No, this is awesome. No, this is God. Uh, I don't want God. Yeah, I, I do want him when it's good, but uh, he wants me to do stuff It's not good. That's faltering. How long will you falter between two opinions? If the Lord is God, what's those next two words? If you believe God is God, follow him. And if you don't, then don't follow him, but quit hopping back and forth. Quit skipping out, and then when things go bad, you want to blame God. Don't say there's no God and act like there's no God and live like there's no God, and then when bad comes into your life, we blame God. 
That's faltering. That's foolishness. The New Testament calls that double-mindedness. And he's asking the people, you call yourself the people of God. If you believe you're people of God, then follow him. Now, I'm going to be real clear for a minute. We'll get over this hard, this hard patch. Uh, uh, I call this the rumble strip. You ever been on the freeways out here where they got the grooves cut? And when you start to get out of your lane, you get that... And when, we, when I drive, which, and I tend to hit that rumble strip, my beautiful granddaughter always says, What's that? And Mimi says, It's the road. What's that? It's Papa driving bad. It's, it's the road. Many of you have been on the rumble strip for a while. And the rumble strip is your warning that you're going out of your lane. You're leaving where you should be. You're headed into a problem. You're headed into a disaster. You're headed into an accident. And your life, if we could look at it, is not the straight highway. And most of the time we respond by pulling back into the lane. We don't drive on the rumble strip. It should be uncomfortable. If the Lord is God, follow him. And what that means is do what he says. Go where he says to go and don't do what he says don't do. Is that clear enough? I know, oh, that's intolerant. That's not intolerant. That's how we follow God. It's called obedience. And so when you say, I love God, but I act like the world, what you're really saying is, I'm not following God. See, that's the hopping back and forth. I follow God on Sunday, but Monday, I follow God when I'm in trouble, but when things get better, I pray because I was taught to, but I don't really believe it, and I don't really act on it. That's faltering between two opinions. Either you believe Him, or you don't. And if you're a a child of the late 60s and 70s like me, take a hint from the karate kid. You karate yes, or you karate no. You karate think so, squash just like grape, okay? That's the problem. You're stuck in the middle. You want the benefits, but you don't want the obedience. And that's faltering, and it's hurting you. It's not hurting God. It's hurting you. Moving on. If God is not God, then follow Baal, follow your way, follow your passions, follow your desire, follow your flesh. And the great news is, when you get tired of that and when it ruins you, God will still have you back. Isn't that awesome? Here he goes. But look at how the people answered. They didn't. It would have been so great for Elijah and for the nation, they said, we'll follow the Lord. We're God's people. We'll follow the Lord. But everybody was just like, hmm. Hmm. See, that's the equivalent, and I don't know if you've been caught in this before, but my parents were masters at this. Mom, can I go fill in the blank? I don't know, ask your dad. Dad, can I go? What'd your mom say? She told me to ask you. I don't know. Ask your mom. Nobody wants to say no. 
But by not saying yes, what have they said? My dad was the classic, and I knew what that meant. He spoke a different language because he said, we'll see. But that always meant no. I never saw we'll see turn into yes. Where are you this morning when it comes to doing what God said? Now, the great news is, hey, you don't have to be perfect. That's impossible. But you need to make up your mind. Am I going to follow God or am I not? People didn't answer him. So Elijah said to the people, I'm the last prophet left of the Lord. Wasn't true, but that's how he felt. But the Baal's prophets are 450 men. Therefore, let them give us two bowls and let them choose one bowl for themselves, cut it in pieces, lay it on the wood, but don't put any fire under it. And I will prepare the other bowl and lay it on the wood, but put no fire under it. We'll do the same test, you and I, and we'll see what's going to happen. Then you call on the name of your gods, little g, and I will call on the name of the Lord, big L, and the God, G, and that's funny, and the God who answers by fire, he is God. See how he's already saying what's going to happen. He doesn't say, and the God, small g, who answers. Isn't that amazing to say that in your Bible? He's already letting them know what's going to happen. Because he, he would have used different language. See, we would have said, oh, he used the word God. But that word for God would have been Elohim. It would have been Yahweh. He was saying, when my God answers, we're going to see who's God. Now, this is pretty cool. This is a big showdown in the desert, and it's pretty amazing. And now all the people say, that's a good speech, man. I want to see that. And you know why? I think there's lots of people that are drawn to dynamic, bold people because it costs them nothing. We'll just watch and see how this plays out. It doesn't cost me anything. There's no ticket to get in. It's just like church every Sunday. It costs me nothing. But let's go and see what happens. Or maybe you get invested. Maybe you decide. Now, Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, you choose one bull for yourself. I'll, I'll let you choose. Remember he's, what he's trying to do? Choose. Choose to follow. Keep choosing. He's trying to build choice into them. Choose the bull, and then you prepare it. For you are many. Remember, there's 450 of them. Now, think about that. That's, that would be half of this auditorium full, completely full, just of pagan prophets. Here's what happens. You do yours, your mini, and then you call on the name of your God, but don't put any fire in it. So they took the bull which was given to them, they prepared it, and they called on the name of Baal from morning until noon. Look at this. So about three hours, if you can judge that. For three hours, they're calling, Baal! Baal! Almighty Baal! Baal, answer us! Baal! Can you imagine doing that for three hours? Some of you thought our worship service this morning was long. How about three hours? And here's what's important. There was no voice. No one answered. So then they took the next step, which many people that have been to church took. 
they got religious. And if you've been in a spirit-filled, Pentecostal, charismatic, whatever you want to call it, church, you've seen this played out. And it's not always bad, but sometimes it's nothing more than what we read right here. They didn't get the response that they wanted, so we got to crank it up. What happens? They leapt about the altar. Let's put some more energy into it. It's about the energy, right? It's about the sound. Let's cry louder. Let's leap higher. Now, disclaimer, the Holy Spirit is powerful and it does wild things. I've participated in that. I've been part of that. Uh, Not dancing, not leaping. I'm not that guy. But I've also fallen out on the floor for hours at a time having a vision of God like I've never had before. I felt him make me tremble. I've spoken with other tongues. I've had things revealed in me that nobody else knew but God. I've prayed for people. I've given words of wisdom. I've actually got the opportunity, though it was scarier than anything I've ever done, to cast out a demon out of one of our teenagers in our youth group. But I never asked for that. I wouldn't try to duplicate it. I didn't want it, but I just believed that God, through the power of the Holy Spirit, could do all of that. But this was not that. This was religious, fleshly energy that sometimes we see happen, even in well-meaning churches, when we don't do things rightly and in order. Because it was all about focusing on them, not about God. And they begin to leap around, and they cried, and they're jumping around the altar. Look at this. And Elijah's not a really nice guy. He's not a very politically correct guy. So look what happened. So it was at noon that Elijah did what? He mocked them. And so like I said, if you're that person that everything about church is all energy and we're not energetic enough and we used to run the aisles, we used to jump on the back of the chairs and hang from the chandeliers... I encourage you to try it. I hope God lets you down safely. And some of that was inspired by the Holy Spirit, and some of it was just flesh that hurt people and didn't bring God any glory. And I'm not the one to judge what, whiz, when, where, and how. I'm just telling you I've been in it, I've been in those services, and some of that stuff is mess. It's no more than Baal worship. He began to mock them. He said, maybe you need to cry louder. Remember, he's a God, little G. Maybe he's meditating. Or maybe he's busy. Or maybe he's on a journey. Or maybe he's sleeping and he has to be awakened. And this has been your experience with God since you really haven't known the true God. When you begin to pray and get no response, you think, maybe he doesn't hear me. Maybe I've got to do something different. Maybe I've got to be louder. Maybe I've got to do this thing or that thing. God doesn't need you to yell. God doesn't need you to act out. God needs a torn heart. And maybe that's why you feel like, I just don't know how to do this anymore. 
you were raised to do it that way. You saw it done that way. And those were the men and women that inspired you. And many of them are awesome, wonderful, spirit-filled people. But all of that action doesn't equal a great relationship with God. That has to be taken care of first. And so Elijah comes and he says, Crank it up, boys. What's wrong? Look at how far they go. They begin to cry aloud and they begin to cut themselves. As was their custom, with knives and lances until the blood gushed out on them. Can you imagine how this is quite a worship ceremony, isn't it? Four, remember, 450 <laughs> screaming, yelling, jumping, cutting themselves with lances, which are like long spears and knives, and the blood is pouring out as they get more exuberant and they're sweating and it's just running all over the place. And they're getting themselves in a lather and fervor and, oh, Baal, oh, Baal, oh, Baal, oh, Baal, come on, Baal. And when midday was past, they've been at it for about three hours now, they prophesied, they began to just speak, shouting it out until the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice. They just kept going. If we've got to wake him up, we've got to wake him up. But look at verse 29. But there was no voice, no one answered, and no one paid attention. If you find that your prayer life is not what you want it to be, maybe you're praying to the wrong God. And maybe you need to get quiet and do some soul searching and start a relationship with the ancient of days. And it doesn't mean that noise is a sin. Definitely not. We should be exuberant. We can shout, the Bible says, right? But it's the object of what we're pointing all that energy to that we really need to take a look at. Do we want the Holy Spirit so it'll be a better service or do we want the Holy Spirit so he'll change me? We want the Holy Spirit to come and bring revival that means that we announce that we're really dead in our sins and our trespasses and brought back through a sometimes painful source of getting on our face and coming back to God with all that we are and abandoning all the mess. Or do we want a good time? Or do we want a guy to make us feel good? Or do we want a, some preacher to step in that's got a great voice and a really entertaining way of doing things? Is that what you want? Or do you want the terrifying presence of the Holy Spirit that x-rays your soul and says, you want to know what this is really about? This is about you hiding from this and this and this. And the reality is that you, young lady, have been hiding from even yourself. And you, young man, have been doing all this religious activity, but it's not been about God at all. It's a great distraction 
from hearing God's voice speak in a very still way right into your heart. That we can either receive negatively or positively. But it's the same message when he says, you need to come back to me. Now you can either see that as negative, oh, I don't know what I'm going to do, or that God's identified the problem, and now I can come back to him. Because what you're not going to hear from God is, you've gone too far. You've done too much. You really messed up. I can't even stand the sight of you. That's not what you'll ever hear from God. What you hear from God is, come back to me. You're forgiven. Draw near to me. I'll be a father to you. That's what you hear. But that's scary if you don't want your heart exposed. That's scary if you don't want your life examined. That's scary if you want a religious experience without the God that forms the religion. And that's what was happening with Baal, is they had all the outward trappings. Nobody that would have passed by would have said, those guys are serious. Yes, they're serious. Those guys really love their God. Sure they do. Those guys are committed even to the letting of blood. Those guys are serious. But you're going to see here in a minute that Elijah did none of that. Late in the day now, and Elijah says to all the people, look what he says. Come near to me. Get in here close. And all the people came near to him. And he did something interesting. Said that he repaired the altar that was broken down. That meant that there was an altar for worshiping God at that point. But it had been in, into disrepair. Nobody taking care of it. It was in the past. That was one of those old things. And, and yet he made sure that he said, hey, we're going to restore some things. And he began to block upon block, stone upon stone, repair the altar of the Lord for a purpose. He said that each one of those stones represented the tribes of Israel, the people of God, of Dan and Asher and Judah and on and on, the sons of Jacob, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of the living and not the dead. And he stacked it up as everybody watched. Now think about this. He said, come near to me. And then they just sat there and watched him. And maybe unlike today, a light went off. Hmm. I remember my father and my grandfather telling me about the altar of the Lord. How God did amazing things when he brought the children out of bondage. I remember when they built that altar and those big stones that they set up that, that helped us remember where God had brought us to and that he was leading us on. I remember the strength of the Lord that he overcame our enemies. I remember when God did great things 
Do you remember those times? And it seems like we haven't had those times in quite a while. I, I don't know what happened, and, and, and I wish we could get back to those times. Can I tell you, we can get back to great times in the Lord, but it's not going back. It's going into Him. We don't have to get back to something. We go forward into Him. He's leading us on. He's leading us out. He's leading us forward. But the things in our life, these altars, some of you need to rebuild some altars. Not out of stone. These dedicated places to the Lord. What are some areas in your life that there was more dedication, but they've been broken down? Your prayer altar, your worship altar, your works altar, your trust altar. Places you were very dedicated to God at one time, but something happened, and it changed. And it didn't, didn't ruin you. It didn't devastate you, but you moved on. I want to invite you to rebuild some altars in your life again. Some places where God has been real. Some places where God is just like these stones that you know that He is. And I'll tell you, I've been there. This, this, is, this is not easy what I'm talking about this morning. But I'll tell you what, there are places in my life that God is just as real as this stone. And no one can convince me otherwise. There are things he has done. There are ways he has proven himself. He has been strong. He has been faithful. He has been there through all of the ages. And, and the reality is he never left me. I walked on without him in some areas of my life. And I want to invite you to rebuild the altar, not out of guilt and not out of shame and not out of religious activity, but because you know it's the necessary step to get back your relationship with God. Because in the act of rebuilding your prayer life, in the act of rebuilding your dedication, in the act of rebuilding your worship, something begins to change inside of us, and the natural sometimes supersedes the spiritual. But he didn't just stop there. He rebuilds the altar, taking those 12 stones, And he said, Israel will be your name. And remember who he's talking to, the nation of Israel. Then with the stones he built the altar in the name of the Lord, and he made a trench all around large enough to hold two sayas of seed. That's about 15 gallons, depending on your sayah. Now, there's so much in this, man. We could go on a month just with this section right here. But I want to tell you that that saya was a, a, a use of measure for ceremonial cleansing. The saya, even though it said for seeds, it was just a unit of dry and wet measure. It was a measure that was used to ceremonially clean the priests. So you see, even in this act, he's saying, I'm cleansing the nation to bring it back to me to prepare it for God. Isn't that awesome? 
made this large trench, and he put the wood in order, and he cut the bull in pieces, and he laid it on the wood. And then he said to this group, I want you to go fill the water pots again, showing about those water pots, a spiritual cleansing. And then I want you to pour it on the burnt sacrifice and on the wood. So guess what they did? They went and they got their water, and they poured it on the sacrifice. They poured it on, on all the stuff. Wet down the altar, wet down the stones, wet down the carpet. (laughs) Now you think that's no big deal. But have you ever tried to light something that's wet? See, I love watching these survival shows. And they always do it in places that maybe it's hospital, but I'm thinking, I mean, you're on a deserted island in 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 the tropics. What a horrible place to have to live. But one of them that I've watched, one of the most miserable times they had, they were up off the coast of Washington on one of the islands in October. It's rainy, it's wet, they can't find anything dry because all that fire-making skill is always required of a piece of dry something. They're wet, the wood is wet, the ground is wet, the moss is wet, everything's wet. And you know what they ended up doing? Sleeping wet. And that's what Elijah is showing. You think that it's going to be some little trick that this is going to happen? I want you to do it again. And he did it again. Pour it on again. And again. Pour it out again. Now look what he says. The water ran and filled the trench. And it came to pass at the time of the offering that Elijah the prophet came near and he said, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. I think it's interesting that he doesn't say Jacob anymore. That's who Jacob used to be. I am your servant in that I have done all these things at your word. I'm doing what you're telling me to do. Hear me, O Lord. Hear me that this people, look at the result, what's he want? That this people may know that you are the Lord God and that you have turned their hearts back to you again. All of this, all of this showmanship, All of this rebuilding of the altar, all of the spiritual implications was not so that he could say, man, that was an awesome sermon. It was so that people would understand God wants you to come back to him. And they could have taken it as an offense. Well, what do you mean that we're not with God? But they knew, just like you know this morning, you know in your heart right now if you are close with God or whether you're not. And either this message is just stabbing you, which... You can fix it this morning. Or you're like, exactly, that is why I serve him. That is, that is how I live. And, and again, we're not some super-duper, whipper-whapper, holy people. We're just people that live with an incredible super God. God, let them know that you have turned their hearts back to you again. Again. 
This is not the first time, and it won't be the last time. Listen to this. Then the fire of the Lord. That's very important. He didn't light a match. He didn't get out his lighter. He didn't rub two sticks together. He didn't grab charcoal. He didn't do any of that. He just said, let the people know that you are God. And the fire of the Lord fell, and it consumed the bull. It consumed the wood. It consumed the stones. Are you following me this morning? It consumed the dust. And it licked up all the water. And for those of you who don't like the reference, it's another pointing at the Holy Spirit. Read Acts chapter 2 sometime. Talks about tongues. That's how we lick, right? It licked up all the water. And I want to tell you this morning that you can try all that religious activity, but God will take care of everything that stands in the way. He'll take care of your bull. Pun intended. He'll take care of the hard things. He'll take care of the water that seems to wet you down. He'll even take care of the old dusty stuff. It consumed it all. Isn't that amazing? What excuse do you have this morning? Well, you don't know. It's been hard. He got rid of the hard stuff. It consumed. I mean, how hot do you think it has to get to consume stone? It's nothing for God. It's hard for you and me. It's nothing for God. Here's where the story gets weird. You think maybe that wasn't weird, but here's where it gets weird. All the people, when they saw it, they said, I'm not impressed. Anybody could do that. Isn't that amazing? He didn't have to do an altar call. He didn't say, now what do you think? Notice that there was a spontaneous motion that the people said, the Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. Now these people who wouldn't answer at the beginning of this story are now saying, the Lord is God. The Lord is God. And they're not saying Baal anymore. They're saying Elohim. They're saying Yahweh. They're saying God, God. And that's not the weird part. That's just the precursor. And then Elijah says to them something interesting. I hope that you'll come on on Wednesday and we'll have a Bible study together, guys, and we'll get our devotion back to God and we'll have a quick time of prayer and then we'll let you go home. It's not what he said. You see, he was trying to solve the problem. And the problem was People were worshiping Baal. People were far from God. So look what he says. Seize those prophets of Baal. Don't let even one of them escape. That's important. So they seized him. Elijah brought them down to the brook Kishon, and he killed them there. Now what turned out from a bloody sacrifice turned into a bloody mess. But I want you to understand that what God was saying to you and to me for today in the year 2018 is all of the places where you're worshiping something else, you've got to kill it. 
You can't let it go. You can't let it escape. You can't try to tame it. You've got to hunt that thing down. Don't let one thing escape. And I'm not talking about anybody sitting next to you. I'm talking about it's all internal. Because what happens is the things in our life that dominate us, but also give us a sensation, we try to tame it instead of kill it. And you can't tame that lion. It will eat you. We've got to hunt it down. How do we do that, Pastor? Glad you asked. That's the job of the Holy Spirit. That's the purpose of church. When we come together, we read God's Word. The Holy Spirit comes in and says, Oh, he's talking about your mess today. Hunt it down. Now that it's been revealed, kill it. Get a hold of it. The Bible says that we can take our thoughts captive to the obedience of Jesus Christ. Did you know that? You're not powerless. You're not without the energy of the Holy Spirit to point you towards what purifies you. But you have to make a decision. Is the Lord your God? Or do you still want to follow Baal? Now, you don't call it Baal. You call it money, drugs, pornography, pleasant feelings, church. But all of those things have to be hunted down, and they can't take the place of God. God took the opportunity for that fire a symbol of the Holy Spirit that not only would fall on stones, but would fall on His people thousands of years later in the book of Acts. Not for a good service, but to purify and to start His church. He took that fire that licked up the dust to show us that it's not about what's wrong with you. God is able to conquer it. The hard things, the wet things, the dry things, the old things, and the amount of it. Again, he could have just thrown one on it, but he's like, I want to go the extra mile and show you how big God is. Do it again. Wet it down again. Do it again. Do it again. Some of you this morning, you've been resisting the Holy Spirit. You've been thrown on water instead of fire. (laughs) And it's not the thing to resist. You can resist the weird, but don't resist the Holy Spirit that's pointing you back to God. Don't resist God calling you and trying to turn your heart back to Him. That's what this book is about. That's what our story is about. He wanted to show, just like he did with the resurrection that we talked about last week, he moved that stone. He did it in the Old Testament, too. Not just moved it, removed it. There's nothing standing between you and God. There's nothing standing between you and a fresh outpouring of the Holy Spirit. There's nothing standing between you this morning and turning your heart back to God except your pride. And your decision, am I going to serve God? And if so, that means I'm going to follow Him. Even when it's hard. Even when I don't like what it says. Even when I disagree. 